Well, good morning and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and we have a lot to talk about today, don't we? This is the summing up conversation about a very long series of uh, lessons about the Bible. We've been through the whole thing and we've covered a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot more to talk about. I've gotten a whole lot of questions from people and on top of all of that, I'm going to answer every single question that was ever asked in the world in the next half hour or so. But on top of all that, we've got some stuff to talk about, about Water and Stone Church and how all of this is going to work and, and all kinds of things. Um, I'm going to say this about 47 times during our visit this morning, but I want to remind you that our first live in-person event where we can be in the same room together and all of that kind of stuff is going to be on Saturday, May 29th at 5 o'clock. It's going to be at The Blend Coffee and Wine, and the street address is 1211 4th Street North, St. Petersburg, Florida, 33701. 1211 4th Street North in St. Pete. And I'll say it a bunch more times. If you subscribe to the newsletter, I'll put it there. You're going to get that information a whole bunch of times. But I just really want you to take a minute and make a plan to be there. It's going to be really, really special. And we're going to be as safe as we can. Me and my family have uh, all been vaccinated and all of that. And some people have masks and some people, you know the deal. We're going to be as safe and respectful uh, of each other's space and safety as we can. But I really, really want you to try to be there. I really would, really would like you to uh, bring a friend. Spread the word. It's going to be really neat. I got some special things planned. It's not going to be like it was. But then what is? It's time to move forward. And it's time to move forward uh, with our conversation this morning. And let's do so with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now there is truth. Right here and right now there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does. Thank you, God. Amen. So I want to get into some of the questions that have uh, come up. This isn't really an ask the pastor kind of thing. I'm just going to sum up some of the things that have come up. One of the things that people have asked me over and over again, not just, just during this series on the Bible, but anytime the Bible comes up, and if you're around me, the Bible's going to come up. So this is a very, very popular question. And it's taken different versions, but at the, the essence of it, the question is, how come the Bible doesn't just say what to do. You know, how come it isn't like uh, stereo instructions? And, you know, we've, we've talked about this kind of an idea before, and, and I get it. You know, sometimes when I teach a, a Bible class with papers that people have to write and quizzes that people take and, and textbooks and all that kind of stuff, that question comes up. How come we have to have a class on interpreting the Bible? How come it isn't just step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this? How come it's not like that? How come it's not straightforward? And I want to say that, first of all, there are parts of the Bible that are very, very straightforward. You know, there, there are times when we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. You've heard that one before. But there's more to it, isn't there? I want you to think with me about the golden rule. 
You know that one, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is a great example of something that seems very, very straightforward. Okay, got it. And it is so straightforward that people repeat it all the time. People say, well, I just live by the golden rule. I can get my head around that. That's very, very straightforward. It's very simple, like stereo instructions. It's easy. Boom, boom, boom. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Every... 20th Facebook post is some version of, I wish we all just followed the golden rule like we used to, that kind of thing. Seems straightforward, right? And some people might be tempted to say, how come the rest of the Bible isn't like that? But think about it with me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What if you're hungry and they're not? What if they've taken a vow of silence and you want to talk about the weather? What if they're from a completely different situation, socioeconomic, political, religious, whatever situation, and so what they would have done unto them is not what you would have done unto you, and for you to do that to them ends up being pushy, aggressive, abusive, uh, you name it. Interesting. All of a sudden, this thing that seems very, very straightforward, once you peel a layer or two away, once you start putting your heart into it as well as your head into it, you realize that this requires interaction. This requires thought. This requires debate and really asking yourself, is this the right thing to do according to my heart, according to my calling and all of that? Doesn't mean that the golden rule is meaningless, quite the opposite, but it means for it to be meaningful, We've got to give it a little more than a stereo instructions level read. It means we've got to get involved in it. It means we've got to get past the the facts of it, past the letter of the law. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you has very little to do with whether or not they want a sandwich just because you want one. You know, it has more to do with a spiritual connection. So all of a sudden, this very, very straightforward meat and potatoes kind of a, a, a passage ends up being more about, wait a minute, it really means I need to ask this question on a more than material level. And it really means I need to see that other person as more than a material person. And it really means I need to see me, them, the whole thing as connected, as spiritual, as more than. All of a sudden, a whole universe comes out of a very, very seemingly simple phrase. And none of it is step one, do this, step two, do this. But none of that meaning can happen if I try to make the Bible fit into a strictly literal situation. I must get involved with it. Then you know what? That stereo instructions metaphor is kind of lame anyway. I mean, have you ever read those? They're not easy. The example that I use in in, uh, my book, Meaning Fulfilled, is I talk about Ikea furniture. You know, you ever bought one of those uh, flat pack furniture things from Ikea and the instructions are 70 pages long and by the end of it you've built a chair and half of it's upside down and there's a whole bunch of parts missing? It turns out even instructions aren't all that instructive. You got to get involved and sometimes you got to take it back apart and sometimes you got to go back to the store and get the missing part and it's not because it's Swedish. It's because life is like that. And that's okay. One of the overarching lessons of Scripture and one of the reasons that I thought it was so important to, to end this series of videos with a Bible thing is because it demands that we get involved. Life gets better when we get involved.
Let me put that a different way. I want you to think about the most brittle passages of Scripture, the parts that just, how does this even apply to me and how do I get meaning out of it when you're thinking about that? If you've been watching these uh, videos with me, if you've been wrestling with some of the Bible passages, I bet you have some of those that you can think of. The ones that, I, I know that they hold up somehow, but I don't get it. The most brittle Bible passages for most people are the real nuts and bolts things. Like if you read in the Old Testament the parts about how I'm not supposed to wear mixed textures in my fabrics and, and whether or not I'm supposed to eat shellfish and whether or not I can grow a beard and whether or not those kinds of things. And there are true believers in the Judeo-Christian tradition that can argue yay or nay on all of those rules and at the end of the day it becomes so picayune that you go, who cares, right? It's one of those things. When you think about the most brittle parts of, of the Bible, you think about those parts in Deuteronomy and the Old Testament, or maybe you think about all the way at the other end of the Bible, some of those very, very specific things that Paul said to specific churches. And you've heard me say before that a lot of those letters to the churches are like reading somebody else's mail. They are written to a very specific historical situation that you probably don't live in, and so you're going to have to dig deep in a very different way. The most brittle parts of Scripture, Here's my point. The most brittle parts of Scripture are the most specific parts. The parts that don't hold up are the parts that are so deeply tied to a very specific situation. And so asking for specificity in the Scripture might be a bad call. What we want is something that survives. And remember, Jesus said, look, all of these things are beautiful and wonderful and important and you should know about and read about and talk about and think about and live about all of it. But at the end of the day, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Figure that part out. And the rest will come. So, that desire to be specific might actually get you into a situation where your relationship with the Bible and thus your relationship with God is a little bit brittle. And we want to be flexible, right? We got to be on our toes a little bit. Everybody stay frosty, you know? And I say that because it's really important as we get into our conversation here. And I say that because this is me sort of wrapping up the Bible in a bow and going, now go on and, and you can read the rest of it, that kind of a thing. I want to make sure that that point comes across as strongly as I can get it to. But I also say that because it's part of a wider conversation about this church, water and stone. I really want and have always really wanted to avoid a brittle church. You know, this is a thing. How many times have you heard somebody say, yeah, well, church just doesn't apply in the world today. It's, it's a weird thing. And oh, church people and church is used as a, as a pejorative. It's not a, a good thing to be a church person. <laughs> You've heard all that before. How do you think I feel? I grew up as a church kid. They don't tell you the good jokes when you're the minister's son. We got to write our own. But you know what I mean? I don't want this to be a brittle church. And when we started Water and Stone, we started it with the idea that at the end of the day, we were going to make the church that we wanted to go to. And that's always been true. And I've always been very proud of that. And I've been proud of you for being on that journey with me. But one of the, the, the founding ideas of Water and Stone 
is less theological and more behavioral. And that is to say, what we said at the very beginning is that we want to be able to ask questions, to constantly and consistently reevaluate. And there's going to be some stuff about church that should really be the case. And there's going to be some stuff about church that, are, that need to be thrown away, questioned, interrogated, disposed of, right? You know as well as I do that the word church is, is a word that conjures up all kinds of visions of hate and fear and exclusion, and it ain't any good, you know? It's that stuff. And so we founded Water and Stone with the idea that we were going to continually uh, ask questions. And uh, we have done pretty good, but I have to say, personally, as someone who has worked really hard to prepare a lesson and run things and get all everything done, and, and that group of people uh, who have continually been there, my children, uh, Miles and Raina, and their significant others, Jordan and Polly, and of course, Jenny, who's been right there doing everything, the people running sound, the people uh, taking the video, the people setting up the music, and our band, and, and Cameron, and Daniel, and, and Chris, and Andrew, and, and so many people who have been there in so many wonderful ways. We've all worked so hard, but the work has been so hard that I think sometimes we forget to ask questions. I can speak for myself and say that, that doing the Sunday services and putting my heart and my soul and my mind and my might into those, but also working a nine-to-five job and, and being a person in the world and all of that, I have to say that there have been times when I did not keep that vision of continually asking questions at the forefront. There were certainly times when I just got into a groove, and I was never insincere. But I have to say that I think that, that it got easy to get comfortable. And you know how I feel about being in your comfort zones. I want us to be the kind of people that continue to ask questions. It's important. Think about it with me. I mean, you ever go to a church where they don't pray? Everybody prays in church, water and stone. We just got done praying a minute ago. We have several times in the traditional Sunday service when people would gather in the same room. We would have many prayers, didn't we? And yet, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pretty against public prayer, isn't he? And in fact, when you read a little bit further on at the, at the Lazarus's tomb, and we've talked about this, go back and watch that video. I'm particularly proud of it. But remember, Jesus says, basically, God, I'm only praying out loud so that these people can get it. You know, we don't normally do this. So what's the precedent? This is a question that maybe we should ask, because you know as well as I do that prayer is a very intimate thing. You're supposed to go in the closet, so to speak. And yet... Church is also an educational thing where maybe I'm teaching you how to pray. So where's the line? And it's a question. I'm not saying it's a done deal one way or the other, but it's a question that needs to be asked. Think about this with me. You ever been to a church where they didn't pass the plate in one way or another? We do the offertory at Water and Stone, don't we? And yet, the only time Jesus passed anything, it was when he was feeding people. Well, there's a set of questions that need to be asked. On the other hand, we teach people how to tithe, and it's an educational moment. On the other hand, church has got bills to pay. And like I say every week, we can't do this without your support. So where's the line? I'm not saying it's a done deal. I'm saying that these are questions that need to come up. 
the word church itself in our culture is a very interesting thing. And I think it's been made even more interesting because of the whole COVID situation. I mean, think about it with me. There were some churches, even when we knew for sure that it was irresponsible, inappropriate to have gatherings in public, when it was absolutely a hurtful, disrespectful, dangerous thing to do, there were some churches that said, come on in. And I like the idea of being a faith-based person, you know that, but if you follow the things that I read and write, about a year ago, when it was getting really ugly with some churches breaking the law and all of that, I said, tell you what, if it's all about faith for you, let's build an altar at the end of a pool that's filled with sharks. You know, if you've got faith, Jesus said, you can do the works I do and, and, all, and more than these. If, if you've got faith, you can just walk right across that water and come up to the altar about faith, right? And a thinking, feeling person would say, yeah, but we don't do that because not everybody is there with that development of their faith. So we need to make room for people to, to be safe and to learn and to grow in their spirituality. The first step into your church shouldn't be a test. And based on that, we know that, of course, it's not the right time to do that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think we've had to ask some questions of church in general. And now that we're a year in, more than a year in, we've seen churches fold up and ministers retire. And I drive down the street and see the for sale signs in front of some churches, and I have mixed feelings. I really do. It breaks my heart to see a church fold up. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that says, well, maybe it's time for something different. Time for something new. And I don't know where the line is. As I say, we need to be the kind of people who keep asking questions because I'm not here with answers about that. I'm here with questions about that. And I need you to know that I am still wrestling with those questions. And people might go, well, you've had a year, but we've had a year in our caves. We need a year or whatever amount of time when we're actually out in the world in groups together. Because remember, that's what the word means. The word church means ecclesia. It means a community of like-minded people who are accountable to something bigger than themselves, who hold each other accountable. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean a certain time of the day. It doesn't mean one guy, and it's usually a white male, standing in front of a group of people at 11 a.m. every Sunday, and then we have lunch. That's not what the word means. The word means community. The word means something like family. And so the question that is being asked by the universe to me and to us together is, how do you preserve ecclesia instead of becoming like a facilities manager? You know what I mean? There's a line in there somewhere. And I, I say all of that because what I'm trying to tell you is that we need to get back to asking questions. And I think that we've been given a, a beautiful opportunity. First of all, we really need to do this right. But also, quite frankly, there are a lot of churches out there who do have mortgages and rent to pay. We don't. There are a lot of churches who do. And so one of the nicest things that I can do as someone who leads a church that doesn't have those bills to pay is say, maybe you should check those out and help them out in whatever way seems right to you. I don't want to compete because there's no competition 
in spirit. I'm not going anywhere. But I want us to ask questions and have answers that don't depend on relying on whatever traditions we have built for ourselves. So with all that in mind, here's the announcement, and it will come as no surprise to you. Water and Stone Church is going to be on hold for a little while. Water and Stone Church is going to be on hold for a little while. I'm not going to be making uh, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. videos for a while. Now, I'm not going anywhere. If you go follow me, I write a blog post every week. I have a little Ask Dieter movie that I make where people send in questions. I put out the newsletter. I am all over the place. And in fact, I'm doubling down on that. Once a month, I'm going to go speak at a church somewhere around. People have already written to me and asked me to come out, and I'll be in Dunedin, Florida, and I'll be down in Sarasota, I'll be up in Atlanta. I got lots of plans, all kinds of places that I'm going to be, and if you'd like me to come to your town, let me know. So once a month, I'm going to go speak somewhere else, and once a month, I'm also going to host a big event right here in St. Petersburg. And it's never going to be on a Sunday morning. It's going to be usually on a Saturday, usually in the evening. So everybody can go, and you can go and then go to church the next morning somewhere else if you feel led to do so. And we're going to ask some good questions. And it's not going to feel like a traditional church service. There's probably not going to be any singing. There's probably not going to be any public prayer. There's going to be people talking and asking questions, and I will write a presentation like I always do, and it's going to be fun. And I think it's going to ask some questions that we couldn't ask under the word church. I want you to go on that journey with me. There's going to be a podcast. There's going to be movies. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. We're going to do events. Maybe someday we'll do retreats. I'm excited about that idea. And if you want to know more about all of that, come find me. My website is waypastokay, W-A-Y-P-A-S-T-O-K-A-Y, waypastokay.com. It's all there. Subscribe to the newsletter. Follow me on social media. It's all there. But what I want to know, what I want you to know, is that we're not going to do church unless and until we can make sure that it feels like family. Because that's important. And we need some time to get it right. So I hope that you'll give us time. And I hope that you'll follow me as we go on this adventure. Okay, enough of that for the moment. I want to talk about some lessons that we can get out of the Bible. One of the things that we talked about over and over again, I, I probably said it every week, is you know it's God talking because God gives you work. Point one of the lessons that we can get out of this whole journey through the Bible is God gives work. How do I know if it's God calling versus my own ego? Did it tell you to get out of your comfort zone? Did it give you something to do? That's probably God. Did it tell you to stay small and comfortable and still hate people and, and build walls? That's your ego. That's the deal. Rule one, God gives work. Rule two, welcome the stranger. Over and over again, throughout the Bible, we are told to make room for people who are different, to not just tolerate, you know how I feel about that word tolerance, but actually to celebrate, to embrace the quote-unquote other, because we realize in so doing that there's no such thing as an other. We are all in this together. That's the lesson throughout Scripture. We are all in this together. Make room for somebody. Consider the, the parable of the New Samaritan. 
Consider so many parts of scripture we are told to welcome the stranger, to care for someone, not in spite of their differences, but because of them. To celebrate those differences because in so doing that we realize we're only different on the outside. Rule number three, all faith works. All faith works because it's faith. No matter what it is that somebody believes in, it will get them further on their spiritual journey. No matter what it is that someone believes in, it will give them some kind of results because all faith is faith. If God is everywhere, he's also in that wackadoo thing that that one person does that you shake your head at. And look, a, a card's on the table. There's a lot of things that people do that I shake my head at. I need to get better about that. But honestly, what I want for us is to remember that so many times in Scripture, think about that story of, of uh, Jonah, where the sailors cast lots and it works. Think about the simple faith that we talked about last week of the, the people on the island of Malta when they saw that, that Paul was bitten by the snake and they understood the signs. It doesn't matter if people do it differently than you. That's the point. All faith works. So find something that you believe in and follow it, but here's the trick. This is the caveat. This is the, the, the special uh, thing to pay attention to about this rule. All faith works as long as you allow it to expand you. Instead of sticking with that one thing that worked one time, get to the place where you realize that this faith can get me across the river and into a consciousness of something bigger. Let it expand you. All faith works as long as you let it grow you. Don't get complacent. This is one of the themes for the day, isn't it? Point number five. No, four. We'll do five in a minute. That comes after four. Point number four. The miracle is not about the miracle. Remember, we've talked about this a couple of times. The miracle is not about the miracle. In other words, Jesus didn't walk on water in order to say, hey, everybody, look at me. He didn't even feed the multitudes to go, presto changeo, look at all this food. He fed them so they'd stay and listen to the lesson because I'm teaching here. And if we break for lunch, who knows when people are going to come back. The miracle is not about the miracle. And this is really, really important because I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in that prosperity gospel thing. That, that idea that, that I'm spiritual and so I can manifest a new car or a new house. You know what? It's great if you have a new car and a new house, but that's not the point of spirituality. Your relationship with God is not so God can be some kind of substitute for Amazon.com. Your prayer time should not be submitting a shopping list or a Santa Claus list and then getting results back. That ain't it. Because as long as there's this give and take, that implies separation. God is not here to bring you stuff. And you are not here to tell God what to do. That ain't how this works. The point of the miracle is not the miracle. Every time when we read the stories of the demonstrations and the miracles and the wonders in the Bible, the point of them is always to grow and to serve. That's the trick. The point of a miracle is use it to grow and then go take care of somebody else. Some of you have written to me saying, uh, this wonderful thing happened. This, this stranger appeared and changed my tire. This thing happened. We had a demonstration. I didn't even know that, that, that how we were going to pay that bill, and I thought we were doomed, but it worked out. 
And I'm so happy when I hear those stories of your successes and your breakthroughs. I love that. And I want you to know that life can be lived on those terms. But if you sent me one of those stories, what you know is that I will always say something like, great, what did you learn from it? Now go keep that going. Because that's the point of the miracle. Point four is the miracle is not about the miracle. The miracle is so you can grow and so that you can serve. That's the deal. So the next time something good happens, ask yourself, how can I grow from this? And how can I help somebody else? That's the deal. And then finally, one of the things that comes up for people about the Bible is, you know, it seems like there are parts of the Bible where God seems angry and vengeful and then things get better. Is it the case that Can I throw some of the Bible away? Well, I wouldn't do that because I think there's something meaningful in all of it. But people go, well, then is this story of God somehow in process? Is God getting better and smarter and nicer? What do you think I'm going to say about that? Here's point number five. The Bible is a story about people's consciousness of God. In other words, it's a story about what I think about God, what I feel about God. It's not really a story about God, because here's the thing, God doesn't change. Look at the situations of people who have a bitter, separate, selfish understanding of God. They end up having bitter, selfish, solitary lives. Did God change? Mm. And oftentimes in those stories, something happens and they open up. Look at the book of Job. Look at the story of Paul's conversion. Think about what happens with Jonah. Over and over again, the thing that happens is there's this situation where someone has a limited concept of God and something happens. It really happens with Job where all of a sudden Job realizes that this can't fit between my ears. This is an important thing to know. The Bible is a story of people's conception of God not a story of God. And the lesson that we take away from that is you want to be like the people who have a a smooth journey, easy growth, learn things the easy way instead of the hard way. Those are the people that have a big concept of God. So you want to get over it? You want to get your healing, your miracle, your demonstration, your situation improved? Get a bigger idea. And more importantly, get a bigger feeling about God. Because your life is determined by how big your God is. That's how it works. Like I said, we don't got to be too specific. We can be pretty general. We can set a lot of things free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being on this journey. Thank you for the next adventure. I'm so excited to be with you. On, uh, on May the 29th. I- I'm so excited to, to keep writing and, and talking with you and, and more and more we're going to be able to meet in person and do things like go watch the sunset at the beach and who knows what. I'm so excited to get to travel and be with some of the people that have been writing me from so far away. We're going to be able to do all kinds of cool stuff, guys. This is just the beginning of something really wonderful. I want to thank you for your love and support. I want to thank you for sharing these videos and liking and subscribing. I want to remind you that we bring these videos to you uh, through your support. And so let's bless our offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. 
With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. In Jesus' name, amen. And one more time, I want to remind you that our gathering is uh, May 29th is a Saturday at 5 o'clock p.m. at The Blend Coffee and Wine, and that's at 1211 4th Street North, St. Petersburg, Florida, 33701. Come find me on my website, waypastok.com. There'll be announcements about all of this. Subscribe to the newsletter. Follow me on social media. Find a way to be there because I am sharing more and more stuff from my heart without any limitations, without having to worry about what kind of label we put on it. And we've been having a lot of fun. So come find me. Thank you so much. Thanks for helping me figure this out and feel it out. We're at the beginning of something very exciting. Let's pray together as one family. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person, our street address, and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.